A couple of things for you real quickly. If you haven't seen cider and donuts out there, make sure you help yourself to those. Uh, numbers of you have, them, have had them already. Um, first thing is, if you haven't had them yet, don't leave the service now to go get them. Uh, <clears throat> that would just be an insult, but, but get them afterward. Uh, this week, the tent goes down, and so uh, things change weather-wise. But right now, you can get cider and donuts on the tent. We have them in the lobby as well. Hopefully, you'll spend a couple moments talking to folks and just enjoying the day. Trunk or treat, you've heard that announced is something we do every year at North Avenue. Uh, we need a number, of more, a number of more people to do, volunteer their, their vehicles to make the, decorate their trunks and hand out candy. So we need some of you to sign up. Uh, it's a Saturday afternoon, a couple hours. Uh, jump in and do that. We also need candy. We need lots and lots and lots of candy. So go buy lots and lots of candy and get the good stuff. I mean, just, I'm just saying, side, you know, side note, you know, get the, get the good candy. Uh, if you don't know what that is, ask me and I'll tell you what it is. <clears throat> I'll, I'll help you with that question. And our night of worship coming up, uh, Wednesday night, uh, October 19th, a night of worship. Uh, a, a time set aside where all we come to do is to, to worship, spend time together in, with, in, in worship together, in God's word. And um, it, it's an incredible, those are incredible nights. Uh, it's not the busyness of a, of a Sunday where you got to get in, get out. We come in and settle in just for that. Hopefully you'll be able to be a part of that on the 19th. And don't forget baptisms are coming up. Uh, we have a baptismal service in, in, in November. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, ask yourself the question, why not? Why would I not take the very next step that God's word tells me to? So hopefully you'll participate with us in that and be able to join in. This morning, we're going to continue in our series. <clears throat> Part of my, my voice, I got a little worked up for a service. Um, uh, one question, one question. That one question we're talking about works in every situation, works in every life moment, works in every difficult decision, every major life decision. That one question and that simple question is, what's the wise thing to do? We talked about the fact, make it personal, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because my life is different and your life is different, so it's going to have a different answer. We also said that if you really want to make it more functional and want to make it really personal to the moment, ask yourself that question in light of a couple of other things. In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing for me to do next? In light of my current situation, what's the wise thing for me to do? And in light of my future dreams and my hopes for the future, what's the wise thing for me to do? So our text, let's look at it together this morning as we begin. Ephesians chapter 5, here's what the Apostle Paul tells us about how we're supposed to live our lives. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But, by, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. 
So the Apostle Paul tells us, we've heard this each week, the Apostle Paul tells us, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is supposed to look different than everyone else's. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then how you live your life should be different. You ought to live your life differently as it relates to other people. We value people. As a follower of Jesus, you value people. You honor people. Greed is not a part of your life. Putting people down is not of your life. So he, he talks pretty plainly about the fact that when it comes to living the life of Christ, people matter. And so how you treat people is important. But notice one of the biggest things he hits in here is the fact he talks about sexual purity. And he says, if you're a follower of Jesus, sexual purity is important. He says, well, you know, you're supposed to live differently than the culture. We live in a culture today where sexual purity is not important. We live in a culture today where moral absolutes do not exist. We live in a culture today that says there is no such thing really as right and wrong. It's how you define it. When gender, gender identity is a thing today where you make it what you want it to be. You decide what's right or wrong. There is no set right or wrong absolute. And Paul says, listen, no, it doesn't work that way. Paul says, listen, when it comes to sexual purity, this culture is going the wrong direction, so don't you listen to it. So here's what he says then in verse 15. So in light of how we're supposed to live, in light of the culture which is so different, be very careful then, he says, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because, why? Because the days are evil. <clears throat> because the culture will take you places you do not want to go. So be very careful then how you live. Today I want to apply our question to one specific area of your life and of my life. I want to talk about this area of sexual sin because the Apostle Paul addresses it. Now to be honest with you, to be honest, or I should say try to be as honest as you can as we begin our journey together. And let me start with a statement and try to be as honest as you can. Isn't it true that when you are tempted to do something that you know you shouldn't do, isn't it amazing how you have, we have these self-conversations where we talk ourselves into it? Isn't that amazing how that works? We're presented with something that we should not do, and then we go into this dialogue with ourselves where we convince ourselves that it's actually okay to do. And, and, and be honest, if you look at your life's greatest regret moments, it's not like you woke up just after it all and said, what happened? No, you are fully aware of what happened and you were right there from the beginning. In fact, if you go back and look, right up until the moment of the sin, you found yourself saying, I shouldn't. If you're honest, you'll go back and see my, my, my major blunders of life, my major sins of life, my major regrets. If you're honest, you were right there. You didn't wake up as a surprise. You were right there and right up to the moment you were saying, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. You know, I shouldn't call him back. I shouldn't call her back. I shouldn't go out with them. I shouldn't go to that party. I shouldn't take that job. I shouldn't buy this item. I shouldn't spend this money. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. You talk yourself right into it. Then after we say, oh, how can I be so dumb? How could I be so stupid? I wasn't thinking. Yes, you were. You were thinking. And what you were thinking is, I shouldn't do this, but you did it anyway. So what happens is we lie to ourselves. We say, oh, I wasn't thinking. I can't tell you how many times in my own life and the lives of other people, how'd you get there? I just wasn't thinking. Yes, you were. And what you were thinking was, I shouldn't do this, but you went and you did it anyway. Now, let me explain how this happens because you really need to see this and you really need to admit this. The conversation with ourselves usually begins with this. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. 
The conversation usually begins, I'm going to kind of pull that out a little more in a minute, but the conversation usually starts with, well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Then before you know it, you've done something wrong. Isn't it amazing how it works? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. And now I feel horrible because I just did something wrong. But right up to the point of no return, we excused it and we defended it. All because when it first starts in our thought process, well, there's nothing really wrong. Now, here's a truth that if you haven't heard this as an adult, you need to get this right. In fact, kids and students, get this now. And here's the statement. It's a bad idea. It's a really, really bad idea to assume that if something's not wrong, then it's right. You should make sure you get that. Because that's what we do. You see, what we want to do when it comes to behavior, when it comes to lifestyle, we want to ask the question, well, is it wrong as a justification for doing it? And if you live your life in such a way that your attitude is, well, if it's not wrong, it must be right, you need to know you are in trouble. Students, teenagers who might be here, young adults, if your thought process is, if it's not wrong, it's right, that's a bad, bad idea. On top of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have been commanded by Scripture to live our lives above mere right and wrong. You see, the culture can kind of get away with, well, is it right or wrong? But as followers of Christ, we're actually called to a higher standard. We're called not to a standard of right and wrong, but we're called to a standard, is it wise? Is it the wise thing to do? Because when you ask for wisdom in the situation, that blows right by right or wrong. And you can get yourself in a whole lot of trouble by doing things that just aren't wrong. In fact, for many of us, we can reflect right now some stories in our lives where we found ourselves with huge regrets because we did something that just wasn't wrong. And that's the wrong approach. The barometer for our decision-making in all the areas of our lives, but specifically we're talking about moral purity, the barometer for our decision-making should not be good or bad. It should be, is it wise? You see, in a side note for you, the reason why it can't be just a dialogue of good or bad is because we have this ability to look at something and say, it's bad, but give us time and give us a couple of conversations with ourselves and we can get ourselves to making it good. That's why it has to be more than good and bad because we have a way of convincing ourselves for that which is okay when we really know it's not okay. But you can't really do that with wise and with wisdom. When you ask the question what is wise and you clearly see this is what's unwise and this is what's wise, it's pretty hard to talk yourself into how to unwise is now wise. It's a pretty hard battle to have. Now today I want us to take our question, is it wise, based upon my past based upon my current situation, and based upon my hopes and my dreams for the future, what's the wise thing to do as it applies to my moral decisions, and specifically as it applies to my sexuality and to those issues of sexual decisions? This is going to be fun for for me. Um, I'll tell you right up front, I'm going to preach a message this morning I was thinking about this this morning in my quiet time. In my life growing up in my home church, I had five pastors. I mean, through the years, they changed over, but every three to four years, they switched off. I'm going to preach a message this morning that I wish one of my pastors would have preached somewhere along the way. Because I'll tell you right now, in my years of pastoral counseling, 
There is no single area, unlike, unlike this one, where there's more pain and more heartache and more regret. And it's like, why are we not just talking about this and getting it out there, what, Bible, what the Bible has to say? Now, there's truth here for everyone. If you're a longtime devout follower of Jesus, there's truth here for you. If you're here this morning and you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but the truth of it is there's no fruit in your life that would show that you are, there's truth here for you. And if you're here this morning because someone brought you your first shot at church and you're not even sure you believe in God, the Bible, there's still truth here for you. That's the beauty of God's word. There's still truth here for you. Now let's start with this statement, something we all know. Bad moral decisions, now listen carefully, bad moral decisions are generally preceded by a whole series of unwise decisions. Would you agree? That if you look back and look at the bad moral decision, the decision made that that you have all this regret over, chances are really, really good that that one decision, that one moment that you just wish you could take back was preceded by a whole bunch of bad decisions along the way. This is how it works. Your greatest regret morally usually is preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Let me give you an example. I'll take you back to high school. You're the high school, you're the high school teenager. You're the student. And you go to your parents and you say, hey, listen, I want to go to this party on Friday night. And uh, mom and dad say, well, tell me about the party. So you talk about the party, all the things. And mom and dad say, I don't think you should go. And your response to that is what? Why? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? Just tell me what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with being my friends? What's wrong with hanging out? Just tell me what's wrong with it. And mom and dad say this. Well, it's not that it's wrong. Uh, We just don't think it's wise. And your response is, just tell me what's wrong with it. Just tell me what's wrong with it. That's all. Just tell me what's wrong with it. Now, as your parent, you know the story. You know this. You've got too many stories you wish you didn't have. You have too many heartbreak moments that you wish you hadn't had. You have too many scars that you wish you didn't have. And you've got a history and a storyline where you know exactly what's in store. And so you look at them and say, well, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not wise. And your response to them was, what's wrong with it? I don't want wisdom. Just tell me what's wrong with it. And so it goes like this. So you go, you go to the party. It wasn't quite the way you portrayed it to your parents, but it's exactly what you knew it would be like. And when you get there, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not good stuff. It's not healthy stuff. There are no adult chaperones. Alcohol's pretty free. And you find yourself in this place, thrilled to be there, and listen, and while you're there, you make a bad decision. Well, you already made one. But now you made another one, and then you make another one, and then another one, and another one. And then you find yourself in a huge moment of regret. And you got there by a bunch of exhilarating bad decisions that got you to that moment. And how did you get there? Well, you got there with, it's all started with, well, there's nothing wrong with it. That's how it starts. Friends, that's the thread and that's the repeated story over and over and over again throughout all of history and throughout our lives. There's nothing wrong with having lunch with that coworker of the opposite sex. 
People at work have lunch with different people all the time. There's nothing wrong with a late night dinner. I mean, yeah, people work together all the time. There's, no, there's no nothing wrong with working late when it's just the two of you. They're having a dinner together where a group of us were going to go, but then no one showed up. So it was just, you know, her and me. And so we had dinner together. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working with a coworker. And then it goes something like this. Well, we were sitting there talking and uh, pretty soon he started sharing some personal issues he's battling with in life. And we're just friends. I was just helping him out. There's nothing wrong with helping out a friend. There's nothing wrong with hearing the problems that each other starts struggling with. I mean, we're sharing some soul issues. We were just confined. Nothing wrong with confiding in a friend. In fact, I'll make this case for you. If I go to a counselor, I'm going to pay over $100 an hour to tell a counselor my problems, to do it with this woman from work or this guy from work. It's just good stewardship. It's just, you know, I'm just using my money wisely. There's nothing wrong with that. And then it goes like this. There's nothing wrong with a text. There's nothing wrong with a, a short visit. There's nothing wrong with a hug. You know where the story goes. Listen, let's say this is happening in your friend's life and you see it. You see it. It's like a movie. You can watch it. You see what's happening. You're not stupid. You know where it's headed. And so you go talk to your friend, which is what we should do. Please know. I get so tired of believers that go, well, who am I to speak into someone else's life? If you feel if you feel you got enough going on in your life that you can't, well, then fix the stuff in your life so you can. I mean, but we, we owe it to ourselves. We care about each other to see it and speak into it. So you see this. I know about the lunches. I know about the dinners. I know about the you know, parking lot talk. Blah, blah, I got all that. And you sit down and say, hey, buddy, I just got to tell you. I got to tell you something. I need to share something with you. Um, I'm seeing something and I'm concerned. What's the typical reactions when that happens? First one, these aren't in any order. Two of them might happen. Two of them definitely happen. The ones that might, you might say, well, how could you think that? The response you hear is, well, how could you think that of me? That's typically one of the responses. Another response is this, well, aren't you judgmental? Who are you to judge me? Now, those are may, may or not be the case, but these two are almost always there. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. It's one of the statements. Been doing this a long time in ministry, nothing wrong with it. The other one is there's nothing going on. There's nothing going on. Those are the statements. Now, listen close. Every one of us does two things when we are on the road to unwise decisions toward moral failure. Now, please know, I'm talking to you. And if I had a mirror, I'd be talking to me. There's two things that every one of us do whenever we are sliding towards doing that which we know to be wrong. When we're, we're sliding towards the immoral action, we're, we're making the wrong choice. Two things we do. Number one, we lie to the people who love us most. And the reason we lie to them is the second thing we do, we lie to ourselves. If you ever feel like you've been lied to by someone who you tried to help, don't be offended because I've lied to myself well before I've lied to you. And if you get offended, really don't be. Because quite honestly, listen, if I am in this position where I'm lying to myself, how can I possibly tell you the truth if I won't even tell me the truth? Now, I don't say that judgmentally. I say that because every one of us knows it's true. Is that long before I, I, I become less transparent with you, I've already been less transparent with me. And so that's the pattern. That's how it goes. It happens in me first. Now, let's be real clear and let's honest. If you're married, if you're single, listen carefully. 
Living on the edge of life is fine in some areas. Listen, if you want to live at the edge, the next time you go to your favorite Chinese restaurant and order a new dish, knock yourself out living on the edge. I don't. You see, my, 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 my wife gives me a hard time all the time because you name the restaurant where I want to go, I'll tell you the dish to get. It's just that simple. If I'm in there a hundred times, I've had this a hundred times. And she'll say, try something new. Why? <laughs> you see, I never run the risk that I see happen when those with me, some of my children as well, those with me go, I'm going to try something different. Go ahead. I never get done with my meal and say, ooh, I didn't like that. <laughs> Every time. They're eating and they're going, oh, I don't like this. I go, oh, mine's fine. Mine's fantastic. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you try mine next time, okay? You know, I mean, that's the way that it goes. That's the way that happens. You want to live on the edge and you try the new dish, live on the edge. If your boss says you've got to be in by 7 o'clock and you want to get there at 6.59 and push it to the limits, push it. <laughs> Who cares? If you're a student, you're a high school t- you're a teenager, and your parents say, home at 11.30 and 11.30 sharp. And you pull in the driveway at 11.31 just to test the limits. Test them. (laughs) Go ahead. Have the time of your life. For all those and all the other ones, there's no risk. There's really no big deal. Take a shot. But when it comes to moral things of a sexual nature, when it comes to relational issues with other people, When it comes to sexual issues and sexual desires, there are lines that you cannot cross. And there are lines where you should stay way, 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 way back from. Period. You see, there are moments in these lines where we think we can dance on the edge and we can live on the edge. And friends, when it comes to sexual issues, you can't. There are moments in our lives, those moments where we cross that line, I should say, are moments that create extraordinary regret, extraordinary pain, extraordinary complex issues, all because we thought we could dance on the edge, and you can't. Now, every one of us, please hear this, every one of us has a moral failure, or 10, or more. Every one of us. With some of our stories in mind, I want you to hear this. If there's a God who loves you, if there's a God who cares about you, if there's a God who created you, if there's a God who has a future for you, if there's a God who has your best interest in mind all the time, then what would you expect a God like that to say on the subject of living on the edge sexually? Do you expect him to say, go for it? Expect him to say, yeah, dance on the edge, be daring, take the risk. No, no. We would expect God to say what any good parent would say to their 16 or 17-year-old son or their daughter, and they would say, no. Get away from the edge, not so close, stay back, because you just don't know the pain that is across the other side of that line. 
And why would a parent say that to their child? And why does God say that to us? Killjoy? Nope. No fun? Nope. Why? Because that parent, like God, is hopelessly and helplessly in love with you. And God has your best interest in mind all the time. That's why they would say, no, don't flirt on the edge. Now, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to some new believers who lived in the city of Corinth. Paul writes these Christians a couple of letters. We know them as 1 and 2 Corinthians. I'm going to highlight just a verse or two. He's writing to them, and they're living in an incredibly pagan time and a pagan culture. If you know anything about the Christians in Corinth or know anything about the, 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 uh, the church at Corinth, you know there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. I mean, a lot of stuff. Unbelievable stuff. It was a very troubling time, very troubling culture. Stuff of sexual immorality, of incest, of, of prostitution taking place. And the problem is they really couldn't talk about it in the church because it's actually happening in the church. And so nobody knows really what to do with it. And in fact, not only is it happening in the church, and not only are people not wanting to talk about it in the church, they're actually in, endorsing it in the church. Now, part of us immediately goes, that's horrible. How does a church do that? And that's a reasonable thing to say, but you do have to make sure you have some, some context. And here's the context. Here's the problem. <clears throat> These church people were a very, very secular group of people who had recently put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you have to know something about the culture. The culture in Corinth was an incredibly pagan culture. Um, these, these people lived in this culture, and the, the culture said anything goes. The culture said it's okay. In fact, if you know something about the, the culture in Corinth, there were temples all over the area of Corinth, and all the temples had prostitutes. And not only was it not looked down upon for you to sleep with the prostitutes, it was encouraged for you to sleep with the prostitutes. So all the temples had prostitutes, and the people were encouraged that that's okay. Multiple wives, okay. That was the culture. So you have these people who are living in that culture, coming from that culture, and all of a sudden they hear the story of Jesus and they believe the story of Jesus. They believe him to be the son of God. They believe that he died for them. They believe that he rose from the dead. They were now following them, but here's what they couldn't figure out. They couldn't figure out how to be ex-pagan, an ex-pagan Christian. These worlds were colliding and they couldn't figure that out. Now, think about this. If the culture that you were in had prostitutes and basically an open sexual lifestyle that was actually a part of all the temple worship around you, and now you're in this quote-unquote new temple, this new church, this new God thing, how do you separate that all out when it's okay everywhere else? And that's the struggle they're having. If you look at the issues that the church in Corinth was having and these Corinthian churches were, people were having... The problem they're having is that the culture is still a part of who they are, and they just haven't figured out yet how to live this life that Paul says your life should be differently. So the Apostle Paul's got to write to them, and he's got to somehow tell them what's expected of them, what to do. And I would imagine he's thinking through, again, don't forget this is by letter, and so it's always harder to have these kind of conversations by letter than it is face-to-face. And how do you go through this whole process of what God wants and the perfect thing and save yourself? It's quite a, quite a list. And so he sums it up pretty well as he comes down to a simple statement that, that they should be able to get. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 6, the first part of verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Period. You know what, friends? Listen carefully. When it comes to sexual sin, you got all you need to know right there flee 
means run. Paul says, I got a tip for you. When it comes to sexual immorality, just run. Just run. Now, you can debate, say, well, let's talk about what is sexual immorality. What's really crossing the line? Paul says, you know, I'm not having a debate for you. Just run. Don't flirt with it. Don't dance with it. Don't see how far, how close you can get. Don't see how far you can get. Just run. Run away. Paul makes it as easy as possible. Run away from it. Be honest here. This is what every husband wants his wife to say. Every wife wants her husband to say. This is what every person wants their son or every parent wants their son or daughters to do in a temptation moment. This is what every broken-hearted 17-year-old boy wants his 13-year-old brother or sister to do. This is what every broken-hearted 17-year-old girl wants her younger innocent siblings to do. Of course, let's really be honest here. In fact, this is what every broken-hearted 17-year-old boy or girl wishes that they would have done and that is run away just run now friends to some degree we're all hypocrites let's be honest to some degree we're all hypocrites because depending on the area all of us at times live in a world where we say this yeah this right this good and and good and bad thing and the right and wrong thing that's very very important for most people but I don't have to split hairs and, and be so definitive as just run because well, I'm a little further in my walk and so I can dance a little more because I, I know things better. Every one of us are hypocrites. We think the good and the bad, the right or wrong, that's a good application for everybody else and just fling, that's good for everyone except I don't have to run so fast because I've been around long, I have a little more experience so I, I know how to stay out of trouble. Now, let me tell you the number one answer to the question that I have heard over 42 years of pastor ministry. So for all you who are pastor ministry, and I've counseled just tons and tons of, 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 of either couples or people going through sexual bad decisions and regrets or about to do some things, whatever. And you got someone who's crossing the line in, in sexual morality. They're crossing the line and they can say this. I know it's wrong. They, they know it's wrong. They could tell you, yeah, I, I don't want my wife to do it. I don't want my husband to do this. I don't want my kids to do this. I don't want my siblings, my brother, my sister to do this. I could, it's wrong. And then you look at them and say, well, if it's wrong for all of them, why are you doing this? Let me tell you the number one answer I've gotten after 40 some years. The number one answer is, I don't know. You go, what? Give you a whole litany as to what's wrong. You say, well, hi, why are you doing this? They go, nah, I don't know. Now, just so you know, if you ever talk to me and I, I, don't, I don't let that go, I go, so, no, no, not today. Today, you know. You know, you're not going to go, I don't know. I can handle it if I'm honest enough to say I'm doing this because I've just decided to. Okay. If you want to use the vernacular from our past sermons, I'm doing it because I'm a fool. Okay. Gotcha. I'm simple. I don't know any better. Ah, wrong answer. Try again. But the one thing we're not going to do, and I'm saying this to us, you know why? Because we find ourselves in these moments, and somehow we think if we just don't know, that's okay. Well, we do know. So why are you doing this? Because I'm just going to make the wrong choice. You see, even when I say that, all of a sudden, I don't know sounds better. No, can't do that. Admit it. We're all hypocrites. Remember two weeks ago, I made this statement. I said, you do not have, we do not have our best interest in heart. You do not have your best interest in heart. If you know the wise thing to do, and then yet you will not do it, that tells me you do not have your best interest at heart. But remember, God does. 
Now, Paul adds something to the verse, which is worth us seeing. Paul adds something into the verse that he did. He wrote this some 2,000 years ago, and it's taken about 2,000 years for researchers to get this and figure it out. For the specialist to say, hey, he's onto something here. Here's the whole verse of verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality, period. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, quick side note. Here's what, here's what happens when you talk about something like this. We talk about sin. People want to go, ho, hey, ho, ho, ho. Who's defining sin? Because now we want to parse the words. You know, what's wrong? What's not wrong? So here, I'm going to give you liberty here. You can define sin right now. Right now. I'm not going to give you this liberty later. But right now, define sin any way you want to define it. You just define what's right and what's wrong. You figure out what things you know are wrong. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, you take all of the things that you say are sin. Take anyone, whatever, however you define it. Take all those things that you consider sin. All those things that we shouldn't do that we do. All the things that we do that we shouldn't do. Whatever. Take all of them, Paul says. And sexual sin is different than any of them. Take all the other sins and pile them all up. And sin, sexual sin is like no other sin. It's got its own category of sin. Now, what's interesting about this, if you do what I do for a living in pastoral care and uh, counseling, those things, I would suggest, I don't, I, I've never, I, it's kind of anecdotal, but I would say that if all my years of counseling people, when you're talking to someone who's got these deep regrets of the past and guilt and dealing with things, I'd about 90% of the time, some kind of sexual issue comes up in there. I mean, think about it. When talking about wise or unwise, one of the most unwise things we do happens to be with sexual sin. And one of the areas where it's most damaging is sexual sin. I bet 90% somehow sex is involved. You see, people seem to be pretty easily able to move on in their life from other regrets. But sexual regrets seem to hang on for a long time. Now, it's interesting how similar our culture is today to the culture in Corinth. You see, the culture in Corinth said sex is, sex is just not a big deal. It's just sex. Our culture today says it's just sex. It's just physical. It's no different than two consenting adults talking together, eating together, taking a walk together, or running together. It's just sex. It's just physical. And then after the sex, people find themselves confused. Well, if it's just sex, then why do I feel so different? And then you begin to say, I, I don't think it's just sex. I don't think it's just physical. Because I find now that the act is done, it's affected my heart. It's affected my mind. It's affected my self-image. It's affecting my self-worth, my, my conscience. It affects how I see myself. Don't kid yourself. It's not just sex. And it's not just physical. Paul says, look, every other sin that a person commits is outside of the body. But a person who sins sexually, they sin against their own body. It's a whole different category. Now, make sure you understand this. It's pretty critical. Sexual sin is not worse sin. See, some of you just heard when I said different category, some of you just heard, ooh, it's the worst. Don't do that because God doesn't. It's not a worse sin. There aren't other, they're not sins that are worse than others. But there are different sins in the way they impact a person's life. That's for sure. And Paul gets it. He says, look, people of Corinth. Look, people of Essex. Look, people of North Avenue. 
You don't have to know the Bible or even use the Bible to get this. Your own past hurts will tell you this to be true. When it comes to sexual sin, just run away. You know, stay as far away as you can from the line. And your own past experience will tell you, man, that's good advice. But stay away, stay away from it and run from it, not because it's unforgivable. See, that's, just some, that's the other thing you heard. I didn't say that, but some of you heard stay away from that because it's unforgivable sin. No, it's not unforgivable. This has nothing to do with forgiveness. In fact, I just remind you of a great story. I've preached upon it before, so I won't go into depth today. But there's a story in the New Testament where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. And she's brought before Jesus. And all the religious leaders are prepared to stone her, put her to death, which was allowed by law at that time. And who is the one person out of the whole group that cared for her, gave grace to her, and forgave her? Jesus. This is not a forgiveness issue. I don't know what you've had in your past. It is not a forgiveness issue. The fact that a sexual sin is different has nothing to do with forgiveness. But in the story, you might recall... He says, does say this to her, go and stop the behavior. Go and sin no more. I care enough about you to tell you, stop doing this. Just going to hurt. Let me make an observation, which I think some of you will get pretty quickly. God has no problem forgiving sexual sin. We're the ones that have the problem forgiving sexual sin. God has no problem forgiving it. Of all the behaviors that people have a hard time forgiving themselves for, this is number one. This is the one. God forgives. God accepts. God moves on. And many of us just can't get the past the past and be done with it. Just living in the past in that pain. This isn't a forgiveness issue, friends. If you've got some sexual sin, you've got some moral failures in your background in your life that you're still carrying with you, still affecting your life, man, it's time. It's time to hand those over to the guy who will take them and forget them forever for you. It's time to give them to God. So Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. And then he adds something absolutely awesome. You see, one of the things I try to do in my preaching and, and, and working with people in my own life, I try to find little things that help along the way, you know, substitutes. If I'm battling with this, this battle, what helps me in this battle? You know, those kind of ideas. Paul brings us something in here that's incredibly helpful. He adds something awesome, and here it is in verse 19. Do you not know, he's talking about getting sin to the body. He then says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. But here's the, here's the key part here. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is so powerful. Paul says this. I'm going to give you a new standard. A new standard to evaluate what, what's right or what's wrong. What to do in the moment. If you, I'm going to give you a new standard. Instead of asking the question, well, what's wrong with it? Don't ask it. Instead of the idea of, well, is it legal or illegal? Nope, not that. Instead of the question is, well, will I get caught? Instead of the question, well, nobody got pregnant. Instead of the question, well, will there be consequences? Instead of the question, well, instead of how close to the edge can I live? And listen, you don't want to live in that realm of life. You don't want to live with those kind of issues. He said, I'm going to give you a new standard. The The new filter when it comes to sexual decisions ought to be this. 
Will this be honoring to God? If the Spirit of God dwells in me, and if I then become this temple of God's residing place, the new question ought to be, is what I'm about to do honoring to God? Now, some of you are thinking, well, you just took the fun out of life right there, didn't you, Scott, huh? You just, great, there it all goes, nothing. Well, hear me out for just a moment. If you took one year, I'm not saying you have to do this, but if you took one year, and during that year, whenever it comes to any, anything moral or sexual, and you followed the idea that said this, I'm going to do what honors God. I'm going to honor God with my body. If you took one year and you did that, and every sexual encounter that came along the way, whether it's with a person, whether it's pornography, I mean, it, it comes at us at every angle. If you took that approach for one single year, at the end of that year, let me ask you a couple questions. At the end of that year, do you think you'd have more regrets or fewer regrets? You think at the end of that year, you would have more heartache or less heartache? You think at the end of the year, you'd have better self-image? Or worse, self-image. You think at the end of the year, your relationships would be healthier or unhealthier. Friends, God is not against you. God is absolutely for you. Now, let's wrap this thing up. Let me tell you something that God knows that we forget and we don't realize. God knows that you are only going to be as happy as your relationships. Now, just think about that for a moment. God knows, and over time in our lives, we begin to learn that I'm never happier than I am when I have the quality of relationships around me. And there's nothing that, that destroys quality relationships like sexual sin and immorality. Now, I'm going to give you a practical tip here as we wrap up, a practical tip that will help you win the battle in this area of sexual purity. But before that, and especially if you're on the younger side of life, let me give you a warning. Culture has a way, and I think you'd agree with this as I, as I fill it out here. Culture has a way of baiting us into self-destructive behavior. Culture has a way of baiting us to go right up to the line of the moral standard line. In fact, it invites us to live our lives on the other side of that line. It's everywhere. It's how people, it's how all the stars and all the people out there who are, who are in the know, the influencers, it's how they dress it's how they talk, every television show, every movie, every theme, every book, all of them built into their storyline this theme of sexual lifestyle, which is not just okay, but it's the, the, the lifestyle of choice. It's what you should, you should hope to have in your life. I mean, that's how it's presented. In every cultural media piece we have, the picture is given, man, enjoy the sexual life. Lifestyle pictures that basically give a green light to people to say, I just want to live like that. If you watch the movies or you watch television, nothing wrong with them. I watch movies, I watch television. But if you watch them and you watch them blindly, you kind of miss the idea that what they're saying to you is they're inviting you to come live this way. And so as we watch them, we have this idea that says, you know, I just want to live like that. I want to be in that world. But here's the thing. When you follow culture's path, culture then turns on you. It's amazing how that works. You follow the pathway of culture and all of a sudden someone says, did you hear about him? He sleeps around. 
Did you hear about her? She got pregnant. Why? Well, because she sleeps around. You got to expect those kind of things. Did you hear what she did? Did you hear what he did? And I would say, yeah, they did exactly what they've been invited to do over and over and over again in everything we see. And yet, when you cross the line, the culture blames you, looks down on you, when culture has set you up. If you're on the younger side of life here, man, don't be fooled by culture. Because it gives you a picture that if you decide, I want to live that picture, you find yourself with an awful lot of heartache and an awful lot of pain. So Paul says this, hey, the culture is not your friend. The culture will take you places you do not want to go. So live as wise, not as unwise. Be careful then how you live. Let me give you a closing helpful tip. Um, I'm going to give you something that you can do that for some of you will actually help you win this battle. But when I give it, when I tell you what it is, you're going to say, what? Nobody does that. Uh, and you're right. At least the people who lose the battles, they don't. But the people who win have a better chance with this tip. Now, you know better than anyone else where you are most vulnerable in this whole issue of sexual behavior and sexual sin. You know your weakness areas. Chances are good for many of us. It's been the same area your whole life. It's been the same battle all along the way. And for some of you who are willing to get a little deeper in the thought process, you know that you've got this yearning to be loved, and that's kind of the core issue that might be at the source of some of these issues that are going on. But you know that area, and chances are good even battling that same area, that same type of sin, that same category of sin. It might be in the relationships, it might be in the computer screen, I mean, it, can be, it can be multiple places, but you know the area. And let me tell you what you need to do. You need to pre-decide, I mean like right now, you need to pre-decide and then write down how you will respond when that temptation to sin shows itself. Now here's the part where you're going to get, well nobody does that, but I want to suggest you it works. You need to pre-decide so when the invitation comes to sin, when that invitation comes for that sexual sin, you need to decide, right, because chances are good you know how it's going to come. You know how the invitation is going to show itself. And if you really don't know, well then assume a hundred different ways and answer all that question a hundred different ways. But start by saying, so when it shows itself, pre-decide how will I respond? What would I say in that moment when I'm thinking in a God-honoring way? What would I say and what would I do? And then actually write it down, script it. Script what you would actually say to someone, to yourself, in that moment when you're tempted, when the invitation comes. Script it. You see, every researcher will tell you, you are like 10 to 20 times more probable in actually getting it right if you pre-decide what the right decision would be and then write it down. You see, most of us get in trouble because most of us go like this, I'm fine. I've been walking long enough that I can see trouble coming and I know I'm fine. By default, we stumble into it because we're not fine, because it catches us off guard. We don't know what to do next. Well, we do, but we didn't think it through. So I'm going to give you a challenge. If you've got an area in your life where you have struggles, troubled, uh, struggled in some sexual area, pre-decide what's the right thing to do and what would I say and what will I say in this moment and actually write it out. When the invitation comes, the invitation to move in, to move in, move in with him or move in with her, the invitation to go to bed together, sleep together, the invitation for going on the date or the date you know you shouldn't go on. The invitation to spend the night. Decide right now. The answer is going to be no. 
and then script exactly the words and how your actions should look. Do it, and you'll never regret it. And for some of you, not only will you not regret it, it might just be the first moment you say, hey, I'm winning this battle. Because see, when you do that, it's going to require something. It's going to require you to sit down with God and say, okay, Lord, so how we write this? And if you let him script it, you'll get it right every time. So in light of your past experiences, and we all have past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, the situation you face, in light of your hopes and your dreams for the future, when it comes to sexual temptation in your life, what's the wise thing to do? What's the God-honoring thing to do? And how does my body honor God? Final statement. If you're here this morning and you are carrying a load of guilt because of some bad sexual decisions in your history, God is already there waiting to forgive it and get on. It's time for you to do the same. Do not let Satan hold it over you. Do you know how many bad behaviors continue on simply because we refuse to give them over to God and receive his forgiveness? So Satan has a hold on us. Guilt is a powerful thing. Believe it or not, guilt is an incredible thing that drives us right into the next failure. But guilt-free living is an incredible place to live. So if that's you this morning, release it to him. Give that past over to God and be clean. Stand, please, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your truth and the truth of your word. How powerful. I wish, I wish that somewhere along the way in my church background history that uh, right open on a Sunday morning, some of these things would have been talked about and preached about. Because I've come to realize that people carry for lifetime, sometimes for a lifetime, the burdens and the brokenness of a past. But today, let's set people free. I pray first for those that are sitting here this morning and they do have a guilt. They do have a past. They've got something that's gnawing at them. It's amazing how sexual sin seems to hang on for a long time. I pray today's the day they be set free. For that person who's got that past, that issue, whatever it might be, they hand it over to you and say, Lord forgive me of this past. You have released me from this past, but now let me forgive myself and move on. And Father, through your Holy Spirit, might that happen in people's lives this morning. For the person that is not thinking about the past, but for the person this morning who's sitting here thinking, this doesn't relate to me, protect them from the future. Because all this relates to us. Not one of us are immune Not one of us are exempt. Satan is out there seeking to destroy, so every one of us need to be on our guard. We need to be careful how we live, as wise, not as unwise. And for the person here this morning that has never given their life over to you, I pray that today might be the starting place. I pray that today they may be the place where they say, you know what, I want forgiveness. I want a new beginning. I want that past erased. I want hope for the future that even in this moment, Lord Jesus, they would simply say to you, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I give my sin to you. You take it. You forgive me. You make me clean. And I want to live for you. 
Dismiss us today in your absolutely glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.